The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, I, if, you, if you say, if you put it this way, if we've gone back to 2020, March 2020, and they say we're going to put interest rates up from 1.5% to 4.5%, and you said prices were only going to fall by 10% in the next year, people would think you were optimistic. So actually, 30, 30 does not sound, it's not crazy, put it that way, by any means. Okay, so effectively, John, just for the record here, everybody, John is predicting a house price fall of significantly more than 30%. Not significantly more than 30%. <laughs> that's, that's a hostage to fortune. But certainly, I mean, definitely 30% more than the, the uh... That was Bloomberg senior reporter and author of the Money Distilled newsletter, John Stepek, in a Twitter space, one of our best ever performing Twitter spaces, something to do perhaps with the very eye-catching forecast or doom-laden forecast for a, a huge drop in the housing market. I'm David Merritt, and this is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the stories and the voices at the heart of the city of London. So as promised this week, we are going to talk about the outlook for both housing and inflation in the UK. And to do that, we're joined by our senior reporter, Phil Aldrich, our UK eco expert and senior reporter, John Steppe, author of the Money Distilled newsletter. And as you heard, the voice behind an epic prediction for the housing market. John, let's start with you. Still sticking with this 30% number, I think it sent chills through London and Britain to, to hear you say that their house prices might lose a third of their value. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I uh, I was very careful to say in real terms, which is after inflation, obviously inflation's relatively high at the moment. Um, but actually, if you look back in history, it's not that drastic uh, a forecast. Uh, assuming that a house price crash actually happens, the average, and again, real terms over the last four house price crashes or so uh, since the 1970s has been for prices to fall by about 27 28%. So in the 70s, for example, uh, house prices never fell in nominal terms. But because of the high rate of inflation during that period, you actually get a real terms fall of about 30% between 1973 and 1977. Um, whereas in the 2008 crash, for example, you had a 27% fall from peak to trough. Most of that was nominal terms because inflation obviously was absolutely tiny after the financial crisis. So the, in terms of the actual scale of the peak to trough fall, 30% is not actually outlandish. It's not an outlier. Um, the question is obviously, like, why would that happen? And the very simple answer is it's because interest rates have gone up. People always talk about how physical supply will prop up the market or, uh, you know, there's a shortage of housing, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not the physical... I mean, you can complain about the physical supply of houses in this country, you can think that the planning system's too restrictive. There are all manner of reasons to reform the way we build houses and what we do with houses and how we sell houses, etc., etc. But the fundamental driver of the price and the reason that it's so unaffordable just now is because interest rates have been on a secular downtrend for about 35, 40 years. So when interest rates go up, the amount you can borrow for a mortgage goes down. 
which means that basically the price of houses has to come down. It's a kind of it's almost an arithmetical uh, kind of logical uh, follow-on. Um, and so obviously interest rates have gone up this year. They've started to tick down a little bit. I think it's very unlikely they'll go back to zero percent because that was an aberration. Well, now I think in an era where inflation is going to be uh, higher on a kind of long-term basis. Um, and even if that just means that the average is about 3% over the next 10 years, that means interest rates are going to be higher again. And that means that house prices have to correct. So you are sticking pretty firmly by this. In fact, <laughs> yes. it sounds like it might even be a sort of modest forecast. Dave, you're trying to entice me know, to go even further. Well, yeah. yeah. yeah, exactly. Go strong, go stronger. <laughs> Absolutely. Phil, what's the implications for the economy as a whole of a you know, people losing a third of the value of their houses. Well, th- that's the interesting thing because the, the price is set by the marginal buyer, right? So just because somebody doesn't have as much money to spend on the house because they can't get as large a mortgage now that interest rates have gone up means that they will bid less. And so then all these house prices, which will, which are related to, you know, if you're buying a two-bed house and there's another two-bed house nearby, it's going to have a new value because that's the, that's the new market value. And so if you're staying put, it doesn't really make an awful lot of difference. The, the factors which really are significant obviously are whether unemployment is going to be shooting up and people are selling into negative equity because they have to get rid of this enormous debt trap that they're stuck with which is the mortgage and so that that's basically the the, the most the, the most critical factor in terms of uh, the economy the other the other the other impact is obviously the wealth effect if people don't feel that they've got this enormous amount of wealth which they can they can release uh, if they need to then uh, that just makes uh, them spend a bit less. But before the financial crisis, people were releasing their equity. Um, there's these equity release mortgages. People take more and more money out of their house as the house's value went up, and then they would spend all this extra money. But that's really not been a sort of uh, something that's happened since the financial crisis. So because um, they haven't been able to, right? The banks aren't well, doing those schemes. You, know, they can, you can remort. You could remortgage every time you've paid off like twenty percent or whatever. If you know ten ten percent, you could then remortgage um, up again. And also, if the value of the house has gone up and you have you know your inc- your earnings have increased, you could remortgage again. But it just hasn't been as much of a factor. So I don't think the the economic impact of falling house prices will be as dramatic as as has been seen in the past for the for that sort of slightly muted wealth effect and also for the fact that really what what will define whether the housing crisis trans transmorphs into a absolute economic crisis is if it's accompanied with this unemployment shock which then causes massive sales and the only part of the housing market where you can really see that happening a little bit is the buy to let mm-hmm. end where they're all on interest only deals so they're going to get really whacked by the increase in interest rates that's going to be that's going to be a direct that's going to be felt much harder than on the repayment side um and they're going to start i mean the bank of england was saying this last week that they they're going to start selling they expect the buy to let guys to start selling and that will put more pressure on those sort of marginal uh, prices, so you'll, you you can get you can get closer to to the apocalyptic um, forecast um, from John. But you know, so if John's right about interest rates sticking around at that, you know, even if say it's three percent or so for a while, there's this rolling impact, isn't there, from that of people remortgaging or their deals, their very low rate deals coming to an end. I just did mine a couple of months ago. Um, <laughs> and it's a bit of a shock, right? Suddenly your payments are going up a lot. How are we seeing that effect? And that's only going to get worse, isn't it, throughout the year? People are going to have less money to spend in this economy for years to come, aren't they, because of what's happened to interest rates? There will be. that People will have less. But, the, but, you know, in a way, having the fixed deal means that you can 
plan for it. You've got, you know, you know it's coming down the line, and you can start, uh, you can start planning for it. Oh, that will depress consumer spending, but the it's not having as dramatic effect as, as you know, these rate rises as would have had in the past. You've got uh, the bank says over the next year um, we're going to have four million mortgages um, in total uh, either they're on like 1.3 are on standard variable rates so they're just floating um, and there's another 2.7 that are uh, fixed rates that are going to be refixing then you also have actually about uh, 5 million people in private rent rental uh, who will probably get all of these interest rates passed directly onto them as their as their rents go up as the landlord tries to recover his his higher mortgage costs so that's about nine you know that's about nine million households out of out of 28 million households who are going to feel directly affected by this there's going to be some bloodbath there's going to be some horrible experiences for some people that is inescapable but when you're looking from the economic point of view looking at the aggregate picture here and that that isn't enough to make you terrified that there's going to be you know some kind of economic devastation through this channel i I, that's my take anyway i mean rates gonna peak anytime soon john i mean what's your forecast for next year I mean, obviously, the market thinks rates are going to peak, or sorry, the Bank England interest rate is going to peak at about 4.5% next year. And I can see that inflation is probably has peaked. And I don't actually think inflation is going to be the big worry for next year. I think probably where the surprises will start coming in is that we get to 2024 and 2025 and it doesn't go back down to what we've seen in the past. I think that's one thing. But I mean, I, I, I agree with everything that Philip said. I don't think the housing market itself is as much of a problem for the wider economy as it was in, for example, 2008. Um, you know, it's, it's, we've had quite a lot of statistics pointing out that the people who have mortgages at the moment tend to be better off than, you know, the average. Because affordability is so bad, I mean, a lot of people have just been squeezed out of there, you know, and banks aren't as vulnerable to it either. And the other good thing is that wages are going up. They're only going up in nominal terms, you know, because inflation's so high, we're still kind of losing it in real terms. But I mean, the private sector can average pay rise at the moment is over 6%, which is quite, I mean, certainly chunky compared to the recent past. If that can continue while inflation comes down, then, you know, you've got, you know, cross your fingers, maybe you get a point where real wages actually start to go positive. Um, and as long as unemployment doesn't pick up, then you could have a pretty shallow recession and not an awful outcome, again, in aggregate, um, and still have house prices coming down and actually affordability improving. And then maybe you take so, some yeah, attention the right, out. This is sort of the, the, the silver lining for this. Yes. Yeah. All those people who want to buy a house, right? Like It's actually kind of, a, they're going to sit on their hands for a bit, right? And see, but a 30% drop in prices is going to mean a lot of more people can get on the housing ladder, right? I mean, it's going to be a net, is that actually going to be a net positive? For the economy as a whole? It would be good politically. Right. I mean, I, I think something to... Well, I mean, and overall, eventually, it would be a good thing. I mean, it's. It, I think we've kind of perhaps lost sight of the fact that houses really should be affordable. You know, it's like, at the moment, I mean, according to the ONS, house price affordability relative to income, the average house now costs nine times the average income, and that is the highest ever. Um, the kind of long run average is closer to something like three and a half, four and a half, and that has ticked higher over the years. But nine is nine is ridiculous, um, and really, I don't think that you know, in an ideal world, we'd be living in a country where everyone could afford to buy a house or rent a house, and they weren't constantly worrying about the impact of the the cost of simply having a roof over their heads on their standard of living. It's not great for 
productivity or intergenerational stability and all those things. So if we get a decent sized correction in the housing market, then you take some of the sense that young people have of, you know, basically futility. Um, is certainly the sense I get from talking to some of them, even around here. And, you know, if you're working in the Bloomberg building, you're not going to be the, the most deprived young person in the world. So, um, you know, I think it would be a very positive thing to see some sort of relief on the house price front. Yeah, the, so the, I mean, because the, obviously the, the barrier has been deposits. Um, you can't get the deposit to, you can get the debt, you can't get the deposit. So if the property price comes down 20%, you're more likely to be able to get the deposit. Plus if your salary's gone up by 6.5% and you know, you're earning 4% on what little savings you have or whatever, then um, it, you know, it just all, it's all kind of moving in the right direction in terms of uh, helping uh, that intergenerational fairness, that, that equity, which is part of social division at the moment. So absolutely be so good in some ways we're supposedly in recession right this is what we're being told mm. and you said john maybe that's quite an optimistic view that perhaps we come out of this it's a little bit shallower the bank of england have said some pretty bad things about the the forecast what what sort of recession are we really going to be in for the rest of next year and when are we going to come out of it Phil? the bank of england's forecast was based on a projection for interest rates to to get to something like five and a half percent i i Feels now, like that's not going to happen. Right? It does, it, I mean, it, <laughs> it may, but there's every single everything is aligned. I mean, but politically and on monetary policy, there's no desire to go to that level of interest rate. At the moment, interest rates are at three and a half percent. They 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 may get to to four and a half percent. But but even even at three percent, the Bank of England was forecasting a, a shallow recession. But it had this weird number in its forecast, which was um, that that households typically in a recession go into their savings because they that's what your savings are there. They're your buffer. And in this forecast, they, the Bank of England has them increasing their savings. So they're saving more and more, which just, you know, if you and the OBR had a very different take on that. They said that people will use their savings. And as a result, the, the forecast in the um, OBR's uh, report was much shallower than the Bank of England's. And there's no individual macroeconomic instability. There isn't like massive debt overhang in the corporate sector. There isn't a massive debt overhang in the in the household sector to compa compared with the, with the financial crisis. The banking sector isn't about to c collapse because it's running on paper thin levels of capital. There hasn't been a splurge in business investment or commercial property building. You can't see something which is just going to cause the economy to, to just implode um, at the moment. So it, it's just the interest rate effect and people, and it's really, that, that's, the, that's what's bearing down on on uh, on the growth prospects of the country um, by taking demand out of the, uh, out of the economy. But the uh, I, don't, I just don't see that as being anything other than this kind of brief, shallow recession. So why, the, why is the Bank of England being so gloomy? What is it? <laughs> What's wrong? What's wrong I with mean, the Bank of it's, England? It's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of turmoil. And I mean, am I allowed to say the word arse covering on this? Yeah, I think that's... I mean, producer's I'm, thumbs up. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I mean, ah. I think there is an element of that because, you know, there was quite a lot of mudslinging between the politicians and the Bank England during their... We discussed it on on this podcast over the, over the summer, in fact, right? You know, the bean counters. Yes. And the, and they, the, they had... A, also, the bank had a very weird um, prerogative in the in its forecast because at that point, markets are saying rates are going to go to 5.5% and, and it wanted to send a very clear mm -hmm. uh, signal to the markets that, yeah, 
you're completely wrong, boys. Just you, you're at, you're just out of the park wrong. So we're going to uh, using your projections. We're going to show you yeah. that the scale of the recession that that's causing is so nonsensical that we're never going to do that. So they were just so this is the communication mechanism, which seems to be a little bit sort of um, obtuse to have to communicate in this way. But so the overstatement of the recession is a, is effectively a way of saying it's you know our rates are never going to go that high. That was that was the main point of the of the recession forecast, which is obviously at the same point telling everyone to prepare for a catastrophic mm. recession is not particularly good signaling to the general <laughs> public. But you know they're, they're they're kind of thinking about. I, the I guess thinking about what you just said. I mean, over the summer it's kind of feels like a lifetime ago, perhaps. But you know they did have to step in to stop a sort of mm. systemic collapse of the pensions industry. Uh, you know, so the the firefighting that happened over the road there from where we're sitting. Uh, it was real, right? And so maybe that explains some of the well, doom also that thinking. tricky thing where they had to make that forecast kind of between statements as well, didn't they? Mm, so yeah. they weren't really able to take account of what the fiscal statement may or may not say. So there's an element of there being a kind of warning shot across the government's bows there as well. That's I think. a good point because they've, they've their latest um, bank of Inc- their latest rate setting minutes say that about. A third of their forecast recession has been removed mm, yeah. by the um uh by, by the uh, fiscal stimulus in mm. the uh, in the autumn statement right so okay. it's better already they're it's already, already better they're already right. saying it's <laughs> yeah. better yeah so what else could uh, spoil the party next year john do you think i mean uh, you know it sounds like we're going we're going to come out of recession sooner inflation's already past the peak are you not worried about anything next year I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the main one's energy prices. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest wild card. And that could go, that could go two ways, you know. So it, energy prices could fall a lot faster than we expect. And that would be great, obviously. Um, but equally, you know, there's all manner of reasons that you could potentially have a spike in either oil prices or gas prices or both. Um, and that would definitely make things much trickier. A lot does hinge on employment. I mean, if unemployment starts to go up, then I, I do think, to an extent, all bets are off. Uh, it could get really That's what's strange about it. So this recession, is this is not a an unemployment-led recession, is it, at the moment? We're still seeing the jobs market hold yeah. up, and we're seeing those pay increases as well that you mentioned. It's a, it's a bit of an odd feeling for a recession, isn't it? People are keeping their jobs. Yeah, at the, at the moment. I mean, the, 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 at the moment, the... there's still over a million vacancies out there. So the thinking is that the companies are just going to stop planning to hire mm. people um and so that's that's what you know where the uh, where you can absorb uh, some of the redundancies in the in labor market and and also um you know people as they roll out of jobs they'll basically just um retire or leave the country or something and so uh, that, that's clearly what they're planning businesses are not currently planning huge redundancy rounds because they're finding it so hard to hire people that the last thing they want to do is get this what used to be this incredibly easy asset to get hold of which was a worker it seems to be now incredibly hard to get hold of one so you don't want to just just you know sh- ship them out for you know without without very 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 good reason to do that but it's unemployment the, the the bank of england's forecast for unemployment was that in its disastrous scenario was for a 500,000 increase in unemployment which it's is pretty mild compared which is to actually yeah exactly past, right? it, 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 precisely yeah it is it is relatively mild and, and so that was even under its under its bleak scenario yeah um, i suppose the only other thing is maybe a and i don't really know how likely or unlikely this is, but some sort of sovereign debt crisis somewhere somewhere in the world. Mm. Not in um, Britain. 
probably not in Britain. We nearly had that, right? We nearly had it, but we're actually not the most vulnerable from that point of view. Um, You know, our death GDP is high, but it's not, like, insanely high. I mean, I guess if there was going to be something, that that would probably erupt in the Eurozone because that's the bit where it's hardest for them to step in and fix it. But even then, I mean, the kind of ECB has kind of got a license to print money if it needs to, an extremist that they didn't have in 2008. So I do think maybe a sovereign debt issue, but even then, that's kind of an outside. Yeah, I, there's. So the UK is more reliant on the kindness of strangers than. You know, to quote Carney's, <laughs> you know, basically, foreign investors are buying our debt. Um, and next year, we're issuing an absolute glut mm, of the yeah. stuff. And the Bank of England is selling off, you know, 80 billion, it'll be about 40 billion left, um, of uh, of, its, of the gilts it's holding. So basically, the Bank of England and the Treasury are going head to head and trying to, you know, compete for people to buy the gilts they're selling. Um, and uh, uh, that is a huge area of vulnerability in the UK. Well, we tested the edges of that, didn't we, in the summer? Exactly. So uh, you, with disastrous exactly. consequences. So, the, so, a financial, so a financial stability upset in core markets like, you know, government bonds, um, that genuinely could be uh, one of those kind of complete left field shocks. You know, obviously Ukraine and Ru- Russia, that whole situation escalating. Um, I don't, you know, some terrible geopolitical mess with China, all that that kind of stuff could all, uh, that, but, but of the sort of more visible possibilities, the financial, um, the financial stability issues, which come with issuing so much debt next that next year that that could be um that could be one of our achilles heels and the politically just to kind of maybe wrap up you know where do we see this government headed next year are we going to make it through the whole of next year without having an election i mean can sunak keep this conservative administration together they're an unruly, unruly <laughs> lot aren't they the, i don't know yeah. how you manage the tories at the, at the moment it's um you know, he's he's had to scrap his um, his planning reforms uh, temporarily uh, because the, they're pretty they're completely unbiddable, aren't they? At the moment, mm-hmm. so how does he get yeah, any sort of I, exactly? I mean, that so if he, I mean, I, they, they, I, I can't. I think if they can't get the business of government working, then it's hard to see how um, there can't be an election next year. But they're also the Tories are incredibly apt at survival um mm. and you know the the idea that they're going to kind of self-sabotage themselves late, is, basically yeah. one thing to think about there is that if the election is called you know not until the very late 2024 potentially um and by that point i mean to your point about you know wages have risen so the level of wages has gone up and at that point you may see inflation just through you know the mechanism of energy prices falling etc may see inflation below zero temporarily or at around zero and it would just be a temporary thing um and so you you would have this you know this wedge opening up where people are definitely seeing pay rises larger than mm. inflation. There would be, there could be a period of, you know, if, if, reco- if growth is recovered, um, uh, you know, we will have had 18 to 24 months to try and fix some of these immigration issues, sort out some of the Northern Ireland partnership stuff, and which could then get, get a little bit of more economic momentum going, you know, you could, you can see that gap narrowing, to get to get pretty tight if people are feeling at that point in time you know their their you know their earnings are paying for more um you know that that 
they're not seeing real terms uh, declines in living standards at that point. And they can afford a house, right? Because it's going to be cheaper than, yeah, exactly. than it was, right? So it's a Sunday Uplands. <laughs> I don't know anti. how we've ended up there, Dave. But it's like yeah. the opposite for the Bank of England around here, right? This is just, <laughs> yeah, we're going yeah. to talk the British economy up, right? Well, uh, thank you so much to John Stepek and Phil Aldrich. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, David Merritt. It was produced by Summer Sadi, editing and sound design by Blake Maples. Special thanks to John Stepek and Phil Aldrich. And be sure to check out John's newsletter, Money Distilled. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio.